1: What's that place you've always wanted to try? Well, you're there, sharing plates with... Just one bite. Or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.
0: Hello, and welcome to episode
1: 153
0: of... Poderuni, Mike. I won't keep you long on this introduction because I'm recording this on my phone because I'm in a house in Portugal, house sitting, looking after someone's house and pets. I'll tell you all about that later. But this episode is a chat with Guy Pratt, who is a brilliant bass player who's played with Pink Floyd and Michael Jackson and Madonna, Brian Ferry, and many others. But he's also a stand-up comedian, a renowned stand-up comedian who's played all over the world. And that's what we'll be talking about in this episode. And he's been put in contact with me by Ellen O'Reilly, who's also a brilliant bass player and a stand-up comedian. And Ellen is playing in a musical that's called Operation Meat. And it's in the Southwark Playhouse in London. If you want to check it out, and that's what we start this conversation talking about. Myself and Guy Pratt. Well, the show was really good. Isn't
1: it, it? It's absolutely brilliant. It's um, and what's interesting is it's the first thing I've seen. Uh, which shows that we really are in the post-Hamilton world. In that it's that same. It uses all the same sort of tricks that Hamilton does. And oh, also, really? Yeah. Well, the the fact that, that actually because rap is the best thing that ever happened to musicals because it is the most efficient dialogue delivery system yeah. ever invented. You can get so much said. Really, understandably, you know, because um, I love musicals, but I I hate Restless Eve. Which is the thing when they're kind of t- you know singing but not really singing to anything. And then I opened the window and she was standing outside. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is horrible. Whereas if you rap something, it's great. You know,
0: right? Yeah. So, you um, could probably even yeah probably do exposition. Exposition's probably the exposition thing. stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So listen, guy. Um, obviously, you you you've done lots of work with uh far was a Pink Floyd, Brian Ferry. Um, uh, Robert Palmer, loads of people there, Madonna, Michael Jackson, and there's loads of Michael amazing Jackson. stories in your book, My Base and yes. Other Animals. But that book came from doing a show, so so like a yes. stand-up show, where you told these stories. Yes, it did.
1: Um, and, uh, yeah, and I did it for, I mean, I've done various shows for, in the last, my first run at Edinburgh was in two thousand and five, and then my sixth and final run at Edinburgh was in two thousand and seventeen. And since then, I went around the world. I went to Australia three times. I went to New Zealand once. Um, went all over Europe. I've done two shows in America. It's um, it's it was brilliant. Um, and it's and 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 so completely different to my life as a musician because it was because i was standing up on my own in front of people every night who didn't know what to expect i didn't know what they were going to think they didn't know what they were going to get and you know 99 times out of 100 it worked i only had a couple of really disastrous fails and it was and it's really interesting the difference between comedy and music in that a it's so satisfying in that, in you know i mean there's nothing more gratifying than a laugh and it's immediate you don't have to wait till the end of the song (laughs) And it's only you they're laughing at. No one else. You don't share it with anyone. Um and it's also terrifying in a way that playing music isn't.
0: Yes, yeah, so, i uh, cause I do stand up and I've, yes. Been, yes. I've been in a band for, so up till I was 25 I was in a band and then I went to do comedy. Now I was in a double act to start off with.
1: That must help a lot. That must help a lot or, or, or does it, or does it just give you something else to worry about? It's
0: safer. It's a little bit safer. It's like, yeah, coming from the band into double act wasn't quite as scary. Big, it was still scary for me to do stand up because um, uh because basically if you don't get a laugh, it's, it's awful.
1: It's the worst, well, yeah, a, a minute without a laugh is like a year. <laughs> it is, isn't it? You start seeing tumbleweeds and kind of, it's, it's um but what, so, so what made you want to do that? Well, if you were, if you were playing music, was music what you wanted to do?
0: Well, it kind of was. I, I kind of fell into it. I was asked to be the singer in a band because of how I looked rather than any singing skills. <laughs> you know, it, turns out, it turns out, it could sing <laughs> fairly good, fairly well. But, um, but then it became, you know, what I wanted to do, but it didn't work out. It didn't work out. And, uh, a friend of mine, a friend that I hung around with all the time was really into comedy and, it, and comedy wasn't Seen as a career move back then. Actually, when I was when I was 25, that's a long time ago. It was uh, <laughs> when um, the alternative scene was starting. So oh, right. I, uh, oh, right, I started right. in the same club as Ardlahan Ardlahanlin uh, Dylan Moran, as you call him. You know? oh, right. oh right, right.
1: What Why? What do you call him?
0: Dylan Moran. It's that's the way you pronounce the name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh right. Um, Because yeah, it's funny you say that it wasn't. It was a different because what's it's like when a friend of mine put this beautifully. Is because when I was a kid, like in the seventies, before the whole alternative thing started, and basically before the America, it was Americans who made stand up cool. I mean, stand up was always cool in America, Um, but basically as a career choice, stand up comedian was sort of next to tramp. Essentially, in terms of social standing, wasn't it? It was just racist bloke in a, in a northern club. Go, you know, my wife's so fat, she wears Chanel fat bastard, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I didn't even understand how uh, it, it was. a it took a friend of mine to, to say we could do this. And to be honest, um, we, we didn't know there was any clubs around. So we would ask fans could we open for them and we were a bit wacky. Like, you know, we wore wigs and did, ridiculous stuff but um
1: yeah but mate if you're trying to sell wacky if you're trying to sell wacky we were you, we wore wigs isn't really cutting it you must have <laughs> we were so wacky we wore wigs <laughs> almost as if it was sh- sh- almost as if it was show business or something <laughs>
0: I tell you what, we were loud and a bit like Young One style. We like, were, I was, right.
1: like, I was right, Rick, and, right? The the dangerous we brothers. We were in oh, your absolutely. face. Was it that sort of? And, loud
0: and um, what would I, uh, But anyway, and we were also did, <sighs> opening for bands, so there's no way we could have been in any way subtle. Have you, have you ever done comedy, uh, where there's also music? Media- Bands on. A- I did, do, you know
1: I did, do you know what? Okay, one of the worst things I ever had was when I'd, I'd, I hadn't been doing it for long. Because um, this, was, I'd started the year before, and then uh, then David Gilmour made an album and was we were going out on the road, and to launch it, to, he had this album launch party, which was also his birthday party. It was his 60th birthday party at the Portchester Hall, and there was and I th- was Jules Holland playing. There was all sorts of amazing people playing as well, and us. And David asked me if I'd, if I'd do, like, a, a little five, a, a tight ten, a tight ten before, um, before we went on and played. I went, yeah, sure, that'd be fantastic, but I'll, I'll write something specially for it, just about David. But, of course, I then suddenly realised that I play sober, but I have to have a drink to do stand-up. I absolutely do. So it was like, fuck, how, so I've somehow got to get myself a... Pissed enough to be to be able to get up and do the comedy, but then be sobered up <laughs> immediately afterwards. We'll be coming to, and I worked myself into a, into a terrible state. So the funny thing is, I can't remember. I, I tried to write something funny about, da- uh, but obviously not too disrespectful uh, about David. And at the end, at the end of the gig, Nick Mason came up to me and said, "That was so sycophantic. I want to book you for my funeral now." <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: they were, very, <laughs> they were <laughs> very, very
1: clearly too respectful, too <laughs>
0: respectful. yeah right.
1: <laughs> so yeah I, I, the, oh, but the other one actually cause, because then it was suggested because um, David just like Pink Floyd did, did never had a, a support act on tour just because there's A because there's no room for anyone else on stage because there's so many pedals and just because the show's so long and has an intermission so um, but so it was suggested obviously probably by someone in the sort of account side that maybe i could be the opening act on tour because it doesn't cost them anything um but then david made this really good point he said absolutely not i said why i said because when you th- when you then come on stage with me i want people to take you seriously
0: <laughs> no it just totally would not work yeah it would yeah. not work i, I mean, in fact the band i was in were really serious and i found that well, people who knew me from the, how are they going to react? Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, anyway, but, well, I was going to ask you, so were you really scared? Do you remember your first gig?
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely remember my first gig. It was, um, uh, because I had the idea, it was, uh, there's a good fr- friend of mine, uh, Steve first, um, has this character lenny bay she's you know very well known writer brilliant brilliant character and and it was him who first persuaded me he said i think you should you know you should try doing a stand-up type thing and because sort of um uh predictably being liberal metropolitan elite that i am i'm a member of the groucho club and uh and so the groucho club has this thing where they have club dinners which is where someone gets up and talks about you know you have dinner and then someone gets up and talks about something which is you know usually their new cookery book which you've just seen but i thought i know i'll do a groucho dinner because at least it's a friend it's a safe audience so i just wrote some notes and i got a bass out because half the whole thing of my shows i play bass um scribbled down some stories and everything booked this dinner and it sold out i was like oh my god fuck and then the thing is like when i (laughs) I got up after dinner to tell stories, and I looked around the table, looked around the room, and half the people I was telling stories about were there. Right, I was like fuck, can't do that one, can't do that one, <laughs> can't do that. And then I actually thought, actually, you know what? Um, if you can't say it in front of them, you, sh- you know, you shouldn't be saying it in front of strangers. So, so I told the stories only, and it, and it's you know, the old Oscar Wilde is is so true. You know, there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. Cause no one's seen, you know, everyone loved it. Everyone loves having a bit of fun poked at them as long as it's nice. Cause the whole thing with my act has always been the only person who really comes out of it looking like a dick is me. You know, I think that's, that's kind of the key to it. Cause that's the, cause musicians always take themselves so seriously. And it so happens that someone was there, someone had been sent by John Pigeon from Radio 2 to see if I was funny. And they reported back and said, yeah, you know what? He is funny. So I then got asked to be a guest on this brilliant radio show they used to be called Jamming that Roland Rivron did where he played drums and there'd be two musical guests and two comedy guests. And so I got asked to go on that as musical guest. And the comedy guest that week was Kate Robbins, right? The brilliant the, the queen of voiceovers, amazing actress and everything. And she said, You're really funny, you should do an Edinburgh show and I went, well yeah that's I'd love to do that. So she offered to direct me. So I mean this whole thing just snowballed really quickly and so and then she i used to go up to her place outside london and rehearse in this little village hall and she found me an agent and then i was literally i was in edinburgh within three four months and you did uh, Doing the whole month what i did the whole that-
0: month that was 2005. 2005, you did the whole run, and that was like... The whole run. It's unbelievable. You've done Edinburgh, right? Haven't yeah, you? I've done... Uh, re- more recently, two years ago, I did the full run. And, oh, right. And the year before. Uh, yeah, it is quite amazing. I know Americans find it just ridiculous that you do uh, 28 gigs in a row. Uh, yeah and other did did you do guest spots as well oh no they i've got but of course that's
1: the i mean the thing that was being a musician right is that i got to really jump the queue on a lot of stuff and uh, also there's a thing that that nine out of ten uh, comedians, it would appear yourself included, off help musicians.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. sorry.
1: But, you know, that's true. Everyone from Bill Bailey to, you know, Tim Minchin to ever, you know. And so they all, I was really embraced by, it was really, really lovely. I, I, everyone was so warm and supportive. And yeah, yeah I got asked to get, because everyone has those little shows. I used to go and play bass along to Robin Ince's book show and, um, yeah, all sorts of late night things. And then there's all the chat shows and, I, I mean it's i i i couldn't believe i'd never been i you know it's one of those things of every year my whole life i'd said oh, i really really must go to edinburgh but yeah. then you don't also because it's august so you tend to be away and um it, it, it's and ever since then i've just been this absolute edinburgh zealot just uh, this this you know trying to tell it because it is the best thing in the world it's like one of the most beautiful cities in the world just mm-hmm. becomes transformed into this playground for a month yeah you know, and it's like the safest, silliest place on earth. And you can go, to, and what's great is that because everything's an hour, you're not actually having to commit to anything. Yeah, it's not. It's not like going to see Titanic or something, <laughs> where you think that's four hours. I'm not getting back. And it, it's, and I just had the absolute time of my life. The funniest thing is, of course, there's. I had one day off. Right, I only had one day off the whole time. And of course, there's all the people you meet in the various, various sort of artist bars. And there's all these people who are on at the same time as you, and you go, "Oh no, no, I'll come. Oh no, I'm going <laughs> to come and see you on my day off." And it comes to your day off, and and there's there's these ten acts you have to do this loyalty test. So I freaked out and just went on a sightseeing tour of the Highlands instead
0: on your day off. Yeah, of course. <laughs> on my day I don't want to be yeah back in a in a small little room <laughs> watching someone else. I guess. But the annoy you get that thing of like you go to and there's all these other people
1: like. um uh, uh uh who's like russell howard he started the year i did in a smaller room than me <laughs> uh, you know and then the funniest thing is then the award comes along i don't know what it's called now but, back, but then it was the perrier and i and to be honest i was being a really good student i was busting my ass i, I was going to see six seven shows a day mainly you know com- just comedy i was uh, you know because people kept asking me about you know so what music have you seen fuck music <laughs> yeah and, you know, do that any time. So and so I was really busted. You, you're busting balls, going to see everything. And every day I oh, have you seen so-and-so? Oh, my God, no, I don't know that. I have to go and see that. And then they announced the Perrier Award winner. And you're like, who?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you thought you saw everybody in the first
1: Yeah. Like they have even heard of them.
0: <laughs> yeah. The year, actually, I don't know how long ago I was there doing a play. I was in, I was in a theatre version of the Shawshank Redemption. And, uh. Oh, when was that? Uh, I'd say it was about eight, uh, it was about eight years ago. No, no,
1: I remember that. I think I
0: might have been there. Um, but that year Rick Wakeman did a show as well. Did, that's right, yes. Did you see that? No, I didn't oh, see that. No, I brought, my, uh, one of the, uh, cast was a friend of Rick Wakeman. So he got me tickets or whatever. And I went and I brought my kid. My kids were with me at that Edinburgh and they were like 10 and 12 or something. And I thought, well, Rick Wakeman, that should be okay. And he was filthy. Like I was like sitting there with my daughter and he's like talking about, uh, the reason he played piano was because when he was at school, the, uh, piano teacher had huge tits and i was like (laughs) okay (laughs) oh i've got
1: okay i've got one like that the other way around right this is what what made me and it's great i've never told this story to you know outside of a bar before right uh when i i'd been there for a couple of weeks and like i said and i got i was sort of was making i was loving and hanging out with all these comedians and i got invited to there was a screening of this film um called uh The, the aristocrats has to be pronounced like that yeah now, do you know about the aristocrats? I know which is about story. Right. Which shall I explain for the audience? Yes. Which is, the aristocrats is this joke that comedians tell each other, and it's the I, the point of it is not the joke. The point is how far can you go with the joke? It's got a beginning and an end. Which is basically the beginning is guy walks into some New York agent's office, goes, "I've got this great act." it's a family and they go really what do they do well first the dad comes on and he ice skates and then mum comes on and then the trick is you then introduce the various members of the family and just see how revolting and disgusting and awful you can make this story and how long you can go for people have been known to do it for like three four hours and at the end of it apparently this the whole point is the agent sitting there in shock goes oh my god and what are they called? The Aristocrats! Yeah. Ta-da! And that's the point of that. And so someone made a film uh, where they literally interviewed practically all the big comedians in the world. And they got I me and they got everyone. And, and the whole film was of people just talking about this joke, mm-hmm. the experiences of this joke. So I got invited to a screening of this film. And, of course, it was the weekend my mum was up. Right, so, yeah. and, and, and I was of like, oh my, I look so cool. Hey mum, we've been invited to this screening on the right. And I think we, we shared a cab with Katie Capstick, whatever, you know, the cool yeah. reviewer. It was like, I was yeah. so Mr. Edinburgh.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, watch this film. And look, my mum, you know, it's from showbiz, She used to do wardrobe and, and make costumes for bands when I was a kid, right? Mm. She's as liberal <laughs> as you can be. Right. But she's still my mum. Yeah. And once this, and this movie is just so relentlessly vile and rude yeah. and awful. And after about 15 minutes of it, I just, I just felt like I was 10 years old and she'd caught me with a porn nag. You know, and I, I was just sitting there next to her, just wanting to die. And for the next week, when it, got around, it was clearly realised how awful this film was, because every time I was introduced to someone, I remember, in fact, Dara O'Brien himself said, oh, this is Guy Pratt. You know, going, you're the bloke who took his mum to the aristocrats. (laughs) The
0: story got (laughs) round. Oh, that must have been excruciating. It was so excruciating. (laughs) Ah. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that situation with my daughter a few times. I I put on the film um, Betty Blue, which I thought, I'd forgotten how how it opened, I went, oh, there's an old film from the 80s. Do you remember know that film, Betty Blue? Yeah, yeah, French yeah, film. yeah. The first scene is them just shagging for about <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> 10 minutes, it seems. Anyway.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay, I've got another one like that, just slightly different, which is, uh, this was about 2014, 2013. I was doing Edinburgh, and, and I had, and, um, well, I was, I was at the, was it the Underbelly? I can't remember, one of the ones on the square. And I have this sort of ritual which is that that 10 minutes before, before the show, I'm a furious pacer. What is, do you pace before yeah, the show? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a terrible terrible pacer. And obviously since you can't smoke inside so what I would usually do is have a shot of tequila and then I'd just go outside and then chain smoke three or four cigarettes while pacing furiously around the square right before I went on. And I was doing that one day and suddenly this big booming voice goes, "Guy Pratt, I expect you don't remember me, but I'm coming to see your show! And I immediately was 11, was 11 years old and had done something wrong. Yes, sir, Mr. Shepherd, sir, sorry, sir, yes, sir. It was my fucking English teacher, right? My English teacher and housemaster from when I was at school. And, you know, who was the one cool teacher? Him and the art teacher. He was the one guy who was really cool at my school, you know, who I remembered really fondly. And he was coming to see my show, and the funny thing is, right, in fact, it was my English teacher, I suddenly realised that my show has one absolutely essential, very judicious and timely use of the word I don't know if I can say it on here, cunt. I don't know, do you have to beat that? No, um, that's fine. Alright. And, and 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 it applies to me, so that's fine. Yeah. Um but the funny thing is knowing my English teachers, I've never been so conscious of the fact that uh, that word is in my show.
0: Yeah.
1: And or I did that thing, I knew the show so well by then that I'm doing the whole show while just thinking. In eight minutes' time, you're going to say "cunt" in front of Mr. Shepherd, and then it was like in four minutes' time, you're going to say the word "cunt" in front of Mr. Shepherd, and then it gets to that point, and I say, you know, because it's about um, it's about how what a wanker you become on tour because everything's done for you. Yeah. And I, I described it, and I said, and after three weeks of that, you have become a cunt, <laughs> and that right, and it got a big laugh as it always did. Yeah. But then I said, "Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I feel I do have to pause the show at this point and tell you." That uh, I've never been so conscious of using that word because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very proud to say that my old English teacher and housemaster, Mr. David Shepherd, is here tonight. Yeah. And there was this sort of weird, slightly confused applause. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. to And then this big booming voice comes from the back.
0: Shame. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fucking brilliant, actually. And 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 absolutely the right thing to do is to uh to. St- Call it, do you know what I mean? And say yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. What's
1: happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, mate, frankly, but the thing with Edinburgh is you're so grateful for anything fresh. On you yeah. To put in the show. Because there's a there's the thing, when you're on tour, when you're on tour, you know, you always get a... I always like try and say, what's the big local news here? Mm. Right, so you can always come out with a gag about something that's happening locally, right? Whereas with Edinburgh, what... <laughs> I was here yesterday, <laughs> I was here the day before. <laughs> the day
0: before. <laughs> uh, also, if you reference that that's happening in the news... You think oh, every fucking act is talking about this? Yes, yeah. you know, uh, and they, and people do go to see four or five shows a day, and they've probably heard other comedians talk about it. So you don't want to kind of do that, you know. Um, but yeah. uh, how did you how do you use the bass in the in the show then in the comedy show? It's actually
1: really really good. Uh, it's a great prop. I, I first, I do a whole thing of, of showing what a rubbish instrument it is to have in your bedroom when you're 14.
0: Oh, do you play uh, it with electric amp.
1: guitar? But, yeah, well, no, I have an amp, but then I play, but I play like I play "Smoke on the Water" Hell on the yeah. guitar, <laughs> and then play it on the amp. You know, and then and then just, I mean, it's it's musical gags are great. You know, I just go through stuff that I played, and then I you know, and then I get to show off a little bit. You know, when I tell my Madonna story, I throw in like a, I play a bit of like a prayer to back and track, and then when I do the Michael Jackson story, I throw in "Earth Song." You know, so mm-hmm. it's it's a really really good prop. Uh, and the guitar. I play guitar quite a lot as well, so yeah. props are always good. Any props.
0: Oh, and didn't you, you, you? When you tell the Michael Jackson story, do you do you do other riffs that you? Yes, I did.
1: I, I famously, um, which um, uh, which probably probably didn't happen in real life, but it's just such a good obvious gag. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I, I think it's working. Mm-hmm. I've got a bass here. I've got a bass plugged in. Mm-hmm. There we go. Uh. Luckily for you, I was actually doing a bit of practicing for something before I did this. Oh, cool. So, I'm very, very, very out of practice. But yeah, but I, um, yeah, I used to, the joke was because, uh, because Michael Jackson was just talking to, talking to us through his, his bodyguard, and we were all supposed to pretend he was. So I just suddenly thought, well, I could play anything. <laughs> this guy's going to have to say yes or no. Yeah. So I said, how about. Oh, oh shit, i on the wrong string. Uh, etc which um, i think actually i mean think i'd have figured it out after all this these years i still can't remember exactly what bit of music that is i think it's workers playtime. time on this is with mother i don't know but yeah
0: sorry um have you oh, been down oh, oh, volume, no, it me. sorry i turned the, i
1: turned the wrong one down i tell oh, you yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> down um so did you tour that show then did you tour theaters or
1: yeah, I do. Yes. Yeah, th- I mean, theatres, art centres. I had this disastrous thing where, um, I got, because, because of my history with Icehouse, Australia, Australia was always very kind to me. Right. Um, and, and it's like, so I've got my first shows in Australia because I was, because the great thing is whenever I went on tour with anyone playing bass, I would, if, whenever the tour started, wherever the tour ended, I'd just try and get some gigs there and stay on, do some comedy. And, you know, an occasionally, and often you have to be very careful about that because people don't really, you know, I wouldn't. if I was flying me to Berlin and paying for me to stay in a hotel, I wouldn't be that happy about me then going and playing a comedy club <laughs> on my. Yeah. Um, so. But, yeah, I I did a Brian Ferry tour that ended in Australia. Yeah. And so then then I. No, yeah. And so then I did. Um, I ended up getting a few comedy gigs and then met this this really great PR girl, Jane in Teenie. Uh, and, and that, then I got asked back to do things. Because the other things I got asked to do, it's quite funny, it opened up this other world to me. Oops, sorry. Uh opened up this other way which is where there's all these guitar festivals, these very musician-y guitar festivals, where they invite all, your, all the kind of super-hot players, and, and it's basically four guitarists and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, they'll invite people like Tony Lev, Joe Satriani, people like that. I would never get invited to something like that, obviously, and I have no interest in doing, cause it's more clinic-y and kind of, you know, for people with super chops. Yeah. But suddenly, cause I had a, cause I had a comedy show, people didn't quite understand. They, they thought I did a clinic. So, so I, I'd get asked to go and do those things. And that's this whole other world, which is great. So I ended up, that, I actually got flown all the way to New Zealand for one of those and ended up and, just doing my
0: comedy show. But you do so your comedy show in in, in yeah, one of these Yeah, I just do my comedy
1: show. Yeah, I do. Yeah, and then I do, you know I used to do the, I did the London Bay show. I did the Nam show in L.A. Mm. Um, yeah,
0: and and do you yeah. ever think that 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 some people are coming along and and they want you to be more of a museo and they're going oh, oh no. gotcha? Yeah. No, I've had that loads. I've had that yeah. loads. Of course, you know, t- um,
1: you know tough. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, cause it's especially actually in. Oh, okay. I'll tell you. Here's one. The worst gig I've ever had, Uh, which was uh, on paper the best thing ever. Through a friend of mine who has a place in Marrakesh, I met the manager of this incredibly exclusive little hotel. I mean, it didn't have a name on the door or anything, you know, you had to know about it. And I think it was sort of half owned by um, Richard Branson's sister and everything. Anyway, he was trying to launch it as more of a, get a sort of cabaret thing happening there. And so he offered to pay... He said, we'll fly you, right, you know, um, your wife and baby son out. Uh You do two nights here. You can stay for six days. Total tab, total room service tab, totally everything and find back. You know, we won't pay you, but then total tab, which actually on paper works out as possibly more than I've ever been paid for anything in my life if I rinse the room service, right? Yeah. So, okay, so... And I'm thinking, well, there's, you know... Uh, I'm thinking, yeah, okay, I've got no idea who's gonna come to this thing. But so I got to Marrakesh, it all looking good, the show's all set up and everything. And then I come down to do the show and it is packed. It's packed. it is heaving. People are hanging from the rafters. I'm thinking, this is this is odd. <laughs> it's like I mean it it should be nice, but I I don't quite see why this is happening. Yeah. So then I start talking And of course, the audience are all French, and and realise that I'm talking in English and not just playing music. And one says, "Why do you not play some more Pink Floyd?" Oh my god! No, I'm here to do my show. Oh, so then they just get on with their meals and talk very loudly. Oh, because it turns out that what happened was the show hadn't been selling very well at all. So the manager puts out this some sort of you know communication, email, text, whatever, to the entire French expat community saying, Pink Floyd are playing in my hotel oh
0: my tonight. My <laughs> <God>. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, what did you do? Yeah, what did you do?
1: I just stood there and died on my ass for an hour and a half. And then I had to go back the next night and do exactly the same thing. Oh, you had to do the second there. one, and uh, yeah, I had to do the second one, and just go. And although I, I, I can't remember what happened with the second one, because obviously, word got out that Pink Floyd weren't playing. Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh shit! Oh, I feel your pain. I mean, it's happened to me. I've Thank been, you. Uh, yeah, come on, come on, let's hear yours. Let's hear what's your worst. Well, I've done. Um, well, first of all, I, I, I've had gigs where people were. Uh, have you ever done Leighton Live in Edinburgh? But that, yes, used, yes that, well, yes. that used to be. I think it's a much nicer now, but um, I'm talking about, oh twenty 20 years ago or something. It I mean, was,
1: basically, I used to go, well, this is down in the basement of Underbelly. You talk about yeah, you know, it is the, now,
0: but it used to be, it's it's burnt down. There's a gilded balloon that actually that's right. was destroyed yeah. by a fire. But uh, it used to be in there, and it was three, te- proper theatre with, th- you know, two balconies, and then downstairs. And and it was just basically three acts, and one of them would be absolutely abused And it just happened that one act would die, and I was in this double act that fucking died. It was like three tiers of people going, "You're fucking shit!" In Scottish accents, "You're fucking shite," you know, (laughs) (laughs) screaming at us. And um, there was uh, the other two acts. Was one of them was the guy? There was like some freak circus, you know, where people would come out and lift uh, cement blocks with their testicles or something. (laughs) And the other guy was a ventriloquist who had a dummy that actually, he would leave the, st- have an argument with the dummy, leave the stage, and then it was turned out he had a fucking remote, and the dummy then would start talking.
1: That's very good.
0: And, uh, he, so it, he was-
1: That sounds very good. That does sound very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. so
0: they weren't gonna die. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but both of those guys loved the fact that we, they were like, we came backstage, they were like, that was fucking awesome, man. <laughs> They just loved it that we died so badly. And it kind of is brilliant because you never are scared again. You never get scared again.
1: Yeah, know? yeah. I know. It kind of has to happen. Although it's a funny thing here because some, uh, some friends of mine made this brilliant documentary called Dying Laughing. Have you seen it? About stand-up, about why. Because the thing with stand-up, when people start, and, and, and this is more applies to kind of to American stand-ups, where they're literally getting on planes and just going to nowhere where they know no one to some... Yeah bullet hole ridden motel on their own and then going to a club where everyone hates them and you think where the difference between that and being in a band when you start up in a band and it's shit and you've got nothing and you're playing toilets and everything but you're with your mates yeah you know and it's great it doesn't matter you're all facing the adversity together and you can see why you would put up with that and go through it but with stand up you just think after day three why would you bother you know and the stories in this documentary are fantastic they talk to everyone but there's one but there's one particular line i love someone said but said the thing with heckling is how come heckling is okay it's like it's the this is the only place where are allowed to do that so can you imagine what if people heckled ted talks you know <laughs> yeah, so know, imagine yeah, yeah. what if we could harness the power of
0: the world's oceans yeah, feed the poor fuck
1: you yes. asshole shaped.
0: <laughs> i mean or theater you know imagine in the middle yeah, of a place exactly. it's fucking shit
1: <laughs> but the, the, the good thing with my show actually is, is because it's so specialist is that i don't really get hecklers and um the ones i do are just clearly mad they're just clearly properly absolutely mad so it doesn't really matter yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, because yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Very I've, good I've at had
1: dealing with hecklers. Do I've, you? I mean, everyone has their kind of retorts, don't they?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I've had some mad stuff. Where I used to actually finish my act doing a kind of a river dancey thing. So I'd have a pair of tights on under my trousers and uh, a little. I did that anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just because I liked it, and uh, yeah. a really tight tiny t like i bought a t-shirt for an eight-year-old so it was really tight and um on under my shirt you know and so i'd take them off and then i'd get a pair of goggles and flippers and do this kind of ridiculous version of 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 river dance but 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 river dance but i used to have to make sure i had the right underwear like that really cupped everything in you know and uh (laughs) and if i and a couple of times i forgot I, i i and i was at a it was a fucking corporate gig with like in a big a beautiful nice Four Seasons hotel, and I was doing my river dance, and a part, my, my testicles was just hanging out, and I could see this like these women at the front were just not happy, and I was like, "Well, what's wrong? And it? it's just fun. I'm just dancing." But it was because of my testicles. But then,
1: all uh, oh, right, so you were just like a really rubbish version of puppetry of the penis. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're like uh, yeah, penis with with a. A pair of tights over, like a burglar penis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Actually,
1: another, I'll tell you, one of the other really awful ones I had was, I remember the first time um, I got asked to be on a charity gig, right? And and it's, that's when you think, oh my God, I've made it. I'm on the charity circuit, you know. Hooray. It's the moment where you get start getting those gigs where you're not going to get paid. That's when you realise you've made it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not paying me anymore. <laughs> and yeah. it was and it was and it was a big deal it was the opening of the new brands back in you the amnesty international center in london somewhere i can't remember and it was and it was really and there were all these really cool people on the bill way way above my you know it's like you know real it's like i i I, it, I shouldn't really have been there but it was fantastic you think oh my god this is and you think and on paper whoever whenever they were sorting this out they go yeah no this is fantastic the idea is because you would have someone from Amnesty International talking about what they do, then they'd have one of their sort of ambassadors, then a comedian. <laughs> then you'd have another yeah, God. Amnesty International person, then a comedian. Right. So yeah. you'd literally have some someone woman would come out and talk about how they burnt down her village yeah. in Brazil. Kill everyone. And then and so, I, you know, then what am I, you know, then I just sort of come on and go, so let me tell you about the time I burned down the house with Madonna. And like, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And I remember, I basically, I, I can't remember who was on before I came up, but I came out to about sort of 500 people in tears. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and now to lighten things a little bit. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, yeah, Segway that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's happened. Uh, the corporates, Fuck. Charity gigs as well yeah, and you're not even getting paid Jesus yeah exactly you're not getting paid to die um <laughs> you, you were you were talking about uh yes, you getting drunk, yes for doing comedy uh, and uh now you're not doing it because you you don't no. drink right
1: no no it's it's not as simple as that it's um i'm not not doing it because i i don't drink i i mean obviously I, I wouldn't have been doing it anyway i mean you know where would I be doing it? Um, oh yeah, that, yeah, but but that but that just became that was a, that is a major consideration. I haven't done one so be it because it, it's. I'm sure I can. I know I can because obviously you know I'm, I'm not dr- I'm not drunk doing this. I'd like to <laughs> yeah, yeah, be funny, but, but, but I'm mean, not
0: because <laughs> it's similar <laughs> to. I know Dylan Moran had this thing because he was. It almost became part of his act that he would be slightly tipsy. Do you know. Yeah,
1: but well, there's a lot of people. It does. Where it is your... Yeah, it was definitely part of Dylan's thing, and it was. And with me, it was uh, I, I, because uh, yeah, I, it's just Pavlovian, isn't it? It's just uh, I always had a drink to get on stage, so then you think you need one, and I I'd, I'd basically I I'd drink a bottle of wine throughout the show, yeah, um, just because you could. Well, because you're kind of burning it off, yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, you yeah. think you are, and and the thing, but then I, th- but then it it really set in. I did this Australian tour, which was just a disaster. It was so, in a, it was so well meant and like beautifully put on. And it was kind of based on me getting all this TV coverage that never came. So I was basically booked into, I mean, incredibly gruelling. Gigs practically every night. 30-date um, tour of Australia. Theatres. 2,000-seat mm. theatres. And I wasn't aware of that till I got there. And I just thought, the fuck are these people thinking? Where are you going to find 2,000 people in Ballarat? Right. <laughs> or in Wagga Wagga, you know, to see me. I mean, and... Um, and it was a disaster. And um, The thing is, the, the terrible thing is, is, the audiences themselves were great, mm. what audiences there were. Mm-hmm. But, but I'd have, like, between 80 to 150, 200 people tops in some t- sort of 1,500, 2,000-seat theatre. Mm-hmm. And that is just so depressing. And it just got to the point where and I just keep you know and it was night after night everyone was like drive hundreds of miles every day and, you know because distances in Australia uh, I never get once we did a gig down in um, I can't remember the name of the town but it's way south of Perth this old whaling town and I remember I took a picture of the sat nav because it said it, we had to go 548 kilometres yeah not to our destination to the next instruction <laughs> really which was straight over a roundabout yeah (laughs) it was literally nothing for 548 kilometers just holy shit yeah and so and so and so so for that i was literally i would drink a bottle of wine before i went on and i just thought it's i'm I'm gonna be so humiliated being in this huge space that it's like i'll just get drunk and amuse myself yeah (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just like i I had to be drunk enough that I didn't care there was no one there. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. So um, it's not like in Edinburgh where it's part of the thing. Although I've never really had that because the whole thing, when you do Edinburgh, all you're told is, you know, there's going to be that night. There's going to be that night. There's, you know, there's going to be three people in. There's going to be that night. Mm-hmm. And every night you wait, you walk out thinking it's, that's going to be the night. Yeah. And it kind of never was, you know. Obviously there's a critical mass. As long as, if, as, long as you've got 15 people, you're good. Ah, oh, yeah, I, no, I, I think so. Actually, I less, think the, the, less, less, less. Five think, good ones, five good laughers. You know what I mean?
0: But over over the whole of Edinburgh Festival, the average audience apparently is three people. So there are people playing to <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, but the,
1: yeah, but that's probably doing a gig in a phone box. You know what I mean? Because there are, or in a taxi, which you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you, it, have you ever gone to the Free Fringe? The, you know, the I don't know. if if you've been
1: i've done the free fringe oh you did the free fringe yeah you get yeah because then then you're packed you're packed every day and you have the illusion of making money because you have this bucket full of change and it's so funny you to then spend a month trying to buy everything with change
0: (laughs) yeah right yeah 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 (laughs) i mean yeah if you've got a good show free fringe is brilliant but But yeah sorry i know
1: that that wasn't the point you were making
0: well i went to see a american korean girl do a show in a room over a nightclub at 1 a.m and man that was it was funny because it was so insane but there must be loads of shows like that i mean there
1: are no i've i've been to a few where you you kind of think i should you be here doing this i mean should someone be taking better care
0: of you yeah <laughs> um and they're the people who are obsessed with them they come back year after year <laughs> it yeah it doesn't matter what happens to them but um, um but are you going to come back and do shows i mean i would really... like to I, I i
1: the thing is i need to find
0: um because yeah the drinking thing's bollocks i
1: mean i'll get over that uh but yeah. it um also you're not really a comedian until you've had stopped drinking are you face basically all the great ones <laughs> that's it yeah <laughs> um uh but I, I need a new thing. I, I need, it's that the, because it's a, I just can't tell the Madonna story again or the, yeah. it's, it's, and the, and the, because I, you know, I've changed my show loads of times, but, but all of the stories come from this particular time period or, or there'll be a couple because now it's all so different, you know, there's nothing, also i guess as my audience gets older and as i get older you don't really want to hear rock and roll stories anymore you want to hear something a bit more because none of it's really impressive anymore is it it just seems incredibly childish so well because the thing is because when i go on tour now it's so it's it's so different for it's it's you know it's like aren't those towels nice and look at that breakfast buffet and
0: that's yeah, what the, excites me.
1: That's what excites me, yeah. Oh, you yeah, know, there's so many machines in the gym. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> great.
0: Uh, I think you've already started uh, your, obviously e. writing your next show. Oh, uh,
1: yes, <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Yeah. But there, yeah, there is the thing about being you know, the older, the older person touring. I mean, there is some quite funny stuff. I, I think there's, there's funny stuff to be had out of the source full of secrets because um, that's such an interesting dichotomy in, in that you've got Nick Mason. You know who's 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 and he's been amazing. He'd, he it's a you know we're playing theatres, and we're we're we travel on a bus. I mean he's seventy six now. This is the first time he's ever slept on a tour bus in his life because yeah. they went straight from the transit to the plane. <laughs> really, they were that yeah. suddenly successful. Yeah, pretty much. Or you just didn't really do those sort of tours, um, uh, and so and 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 we and the what is funny is that of course having someone of you you don't think about is having someone of Nick's sort of magnitude is that what you don't realize when you stay at the four seasons or the ritz carlton or any of those fancy hotels what you don't realize is, of course they have all their own security teams and all the security stuff in there. because when you're not there they've got fucking macron you know or merkel or someone so they've got shit is taken care of when you're staying at the DoubleTree by Hilton. <laughs> right? They haven't got that and Scott and we've just got Barry, our lovely brilliant sweet security guy who's, who's done everything I've ever done with Floyd. And there's just him and you suddenly realize that so suddenly you get all these people just booking rooms and wandering around everywhere and there's you know you're kind of at the mercy of, of all these sort of of the fans which is um actually very sweet. <laughs> yeah and charming yeah but madam um, i I, I, no, just I, I, it, I got a bit lost there i had a, i had a more specific point to make i can't remember what it was never mind
0: I, I think it's incredible though that you did go from something like as big as floyd to a room with just well, you
1: that that's the funny thing and th- and that's the thing i really like as well it's it's really really i think it's, it's really good for you I, um because I've always liked to do things like that when you're operating at all levels, yeah. at the same time. In fact, because I was doing when I was like uh, when I started doing it, and I remember doing the rehearsals for David Gilmore's tour, oh. and and I was and I would literally be rehearsing all day, then then driving up to Birmingham to play an arts centre at yeah. night, and it's, so so during the day. I've got my own tech. I've got I'd literally, it's like, I can just flick my cigarette and an ashtray will appear beneath it. Yeah. You know, and I've got people giving me gear and everything. And then I drive up to Birmingham and I haul my amp up the stairs and I set my gear up and plug everything in, you know, and I, re- and it was fine. It's, re- that's, it's, I think it's really good for, me. I think everyone should be made to do that who gets used to, cause it, it, it's quite ludicrous the level to which bands expected to be look up, looked after.
0: Right. So you think it, do you feel, I'm, I'm you seemed like a really modest guy anyway but you feel like it grounded you in some sense
1: yeah oh definitely yeah. definitely also it's just also that i got in, you know from doing stand-up I i reconnected with so many people from my youth and all sorts of people from and you know from my being in music and from school all sorts of stuff like that because you're suddenly available you're suddenly available to everyone you know if someone comes to to one of the big shows you're at like, they don't want to bother someone or they've got to get through to the tour manager or they, you know and it's and also you seem unapproachable. Whereas it was, if that was the, it was really nice because, you know, you do your show and then you go to the bar and see who's there and you hang out. And I, you know, and I loved all that. That means so much, so much great other stuff came from doing the comedy. It was, it's a really, really good way of, of sort of reconnecting with your life. So,
0: you know, I, I do, I do actually feel that even the really big comedians and of they, when they finish the show, they just walk out. Through the crowds, a lot yeah. of them. It's not. It's not like music. Yeah. E- even like big top guys, there there is well, because because in comedy, you can't just write your like you write your album and then you go and tour it. In comedy, you can't just write your show. You've got to go to the little clubs again and start. That's and, right. Yeah. And yeah.
1: Well, that's the thing I, yeah, that, that's the thing I love is that if you've got, you know, if you've got your, you keep your eye open, is for those couple of months before Edinburgh, you can see anyone in a pub in London. Yeah. yeah. Trying out their, you know, trying out their Edinburgh show.
0: Yeah, I, I think that, that is the beauty of comedy, actually. Yeah. Um,
1: that's why I always thought, I thought this the worst thing I, I ever saw at Edinburgh, because the, the whole thing about Edinburgh, the egalitarianness of it and how big, you know, you've got all sorts of big, you know, Paul Merton and Bill Bailey, and people like that are always there doing something weird, whatever. And there was one year I was there and Ricky Gervais came in at the end and did sort of four nights at the convention centre and basically shut everyone down. And you just think, don't do
0: that. Yeah, yeah. That's (laughs) not in the spirit of it. No. No, it's not. Um, Another thing that does quite often happen is that somebody becomes famous for something that, and then they think they can do stand-up and within it doesn't matter how famous you are if you're not funny within five minutes the audience going, oh, it's fucking shit. yeah <laughs> yeah
1: so. but the other interesting thing with stand-up though is is le- is that is it i guess it's kind of similar to music in in that after doing my first edinburgh i was much better at it and probably a year after that i, I was much, much better true. again mm-hmm. And then I've probably got to a point now where, I, I, I don't mean, I just mean technically in terms of how to do a show and, you know, and not being freaked out by stuff. And it's, but it's one of those, th- and so I, I now know what to do in terms of that. You know what I mean? I have this technical knowledge. But if anyone asked me what it is, I couldn't tell them. Right, right, right. right. You know what I mean? I, 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 you know, there's all this stuff I used to do that I don't do, but that, there, but there's, I still, don't, I don't know what it is. It's just one of those weird things where you learn stuff. The thing I love is learning how, cause I ended up, I structured my show where it's set, it's a set number of stories, it's got sound cues and stuff like that, so it's kind of tied to a format. But I realized quite early on that you have to structure it in a certain way because, it's that weird thing of how every audience is different. It's just like with music. Every audience is different. And there's this weird sort of Jungian mass subconscious. They, and all, for some reason, they're all like this. They're all going to like this. And then they're, then the next night, they're all going to like that. And you can't, there's it's some weird symbiotic thing that happens amongst the audience. And there's, and, and like, I had a couple, so I had it structure. So there's a couple of things where there's one thing I'll go down. And they love it. Like, for instance, David Coverdale. Will I do my David Coverdale impersonation? And sometimes they go, oh my god, I, it's like, fuck, they love this. Alright, let's do this. And so then you go down, so you have stuff, so you got enough room to, you know, to go off on a tangent for a few words. But the other thing that gets me, I remember I had a couple of gags. I had this one gag, which I thought was the funniest thing I'd ever come up with, right? One of the funniest things I'd ever heard. Yeah. yeah. And I told it night after night after night and, and it died on its ass yeah. it's just done and I, I and and it was so funny i was i was like principal skinner it's not me it's the children who are wrong
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> and yeah. you keep going
1: I, with it until eventually you just have to go you just mate, have to accept it mate yeah mate you know what maybe you're not in charge of comedy yeah
0: yeah <laughs> I, I i i think three goes is enough if they're not liking it you're doing something Yeah, you know, you know.
1: Yeah, but there's also that thing of of when you realise that uh, that people are actually getting a different joke to the one you're telling.
0: Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, well so, do you yeah. not think when you're when you But think... like, no no, no, that that's not the joke. It's what well, exactly. we all thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You think the punchline is coming? Why are you laughing now? And it turns up. It turns out the lead up is actually much funnier than the punchline.
1: Yeah. I love, but I love that, that thing of, of the, the stuff that happens spontaneously, you know, cause uh, you realize, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, again, it's one of the, there's so many parallels with music that I love, which is that if you, um, like, if you record yourself at the start of a tour and then you record the set at the end of the tour, it'll be infinitely different. It'll be so different. And, um, and, and, but you, nothing you'll have noticed. It's just like one night, you suddenly went, "Oh, that's nice in there," and so the next night, that's in, and the next, and someone else has had that idea. Someone, and by the end of the show, like everything's changed in a way just be, just from playing it in, and it's it's really you know nothing conscious has happened, but it's it's changed. It's become this thing that works the show, and it's the, and the same thing happens with your show. If it's like if you go back and listen to you know yourself at the start of the Edinburgh, and you know it'll be like there'll be ten minutes difference in the material, and th- and that happens just in music from stuff as well. that happened, yeah. Probably, maybe not as overtly, obviously, you know, the joke's on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, I mean, you don't, you don't write another verse one night. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: would be funny. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, everyone goes, what the fuck? What,
1: what, what's he doing? What's he what, doing? What, what did do do do? do? <laughs> that come <from?" laughs> Yeah. yeah
0: um and uh, would you a bit improvise stuff as well i mean i guess i guess if you're playing off the audience as well and, and that kind of stuff sometimes the best stuff comes from uh, something accidentally happens on stage
1: oh absolutely yeah absolutely uh, i can't That's think can't of, I think it, of it, it, it's i've done it a i can't think of anything
0: and it can you know, the, uh, it yeah, can cool. be the opposite whereas it happens one night accidentally improvised and it really works and you go wow that bit's great but but, but the next night that bit doesn't work because you haven't got the that's excitement right. or something
1: that's right and yeah it's because and it's um because that's because half my half my gags a lot of my gags are it's like i've just remembered something i mean that's what everyone does isn't it? i mean that's what i mean eddie isard was always the king of that wasn't he when that kind of this sort of meandering slightly is like stuff just off the top of his head sort of thinking up yeah. and, uh, but the whole thing is the most tightly Swiss engineered machine that, you know, you're like, uh, you know, that it's word for word every night, you
0: know, absolutely.
1: I That's, that's the skill, but I, I guess it's the same. I I It's the same. The whole thing with music is, is that it's like, there's a, this thing I have with hotel rooms. There's something about, If you ever walk into a hotel room and the maid hasn't been in, right, and and the last person's presence is still there, you can never be comfortable in that room because there's this lie. There's this lie you tell yourself that when you go into a hotel room, no one else has ever been in there. This is your room, and it's the, and it's kind of the same with gigs. It, it, it's that it's this night is this is it. It was the, you know it's not the, the same thing they do every night, and I guess you know with, with with comedy that's even harder. You know even more specific because it's all laughs, and in theory, it's only going to be in theory it'll only work as well as it does once to an audience. Yeah, H-
0: have you played in Dublin?
1: Yes. I did. Yes, I did. Um, actually, that's I've got a story there. I did the Dublin Comedy Festival. I've done a few shows in Dublin. Uh, I love playing in Ireland. I've done the Cork comedy festival as well.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: OK, so I got asked to do the Dublin Comedy Festival. And what it was was um, I was on tour with Brian Ferry and there was this little three days off towards the end of it where we closed the tour playing in this golf club in Portugal which is this beautiful golf resort. And it was kind of like everyone's reward that they were going to do this gig in Marbella and then fly to Portugal and have two days off in this beautiful golf resort and then do a show, come home. I'd been offered gig a gig in Galway and the Dublin Comedy Festival. And I'd stupidly worked, because I was so keen, I'd, stupid, I'd worked out that I could do this incredibly complicated series of flights and stuff rather than having my lovely two days at resort. I could just about make it work. Right? So... So I, <laughs> so I fly from Marbella to somewhere, then to Galway. I do the festival, have a great time, but then go to Dublin. Now I was so worried about getting. I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning to get the flight back on the day of the show in Faro. So I, so there was a big party. It was the end of the festival. I went, no, 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 no. I won't even do that. Uh, could you put me rather than being in the hotel where every all the other comedians, always amazing comedians, were staying? I said, no, no, put me in the airport hotel. Because I'm just gonna. So I left. When I I went had a few drinks at the bar, went to bed. Was so worried. Was so worried about waking up to make my flight that I was awake until five o'clock in the morning. Whereupon I fell asleep, and then woke up. Woke up at half past seven, and it was like, fuck. That's that's. I've missed the gig. It's like it was the ultimate. The one thing I've never for all the fuck ups in my career. The one thing I've never done. You know. Talk about you had one job. I've never missed a gig. And I'd, I'd miss a gig. So, but as I'm at the airport hotel, I think, well, I might as well go to the airport, see what there is. So I walk into the airport. And I it's this incredible discovery that you see about 80% of all flights from Dublin go to Faro. <laughs> it's, yeah, it seems like that's the only place people go. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, like london london new york pharaoh that's it and I, <laughs> so i managed to find a flight and I, and I was literally i remember i just said i'll pay you cash anything <laughs> <laughs> i don't anything and i found this guy car- and it was like do you know what? i don't think it works i think it gets me i'll, I'll get there about the time the band go on stage but it's like fuck it let's give it a go so i get it so i'm then sweating and sweating and sweating and waiting for hours and hours now, waiting at the airport and i get on the plane and i look at it, i'm just counting down and of course this looking at, you know, we've come from Spain, looking at Spanish time, and, and it's just like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, because it's it's a 45-minute drive from the airport. Someone's picking me up, but I'll get there, like, five minutes after we go on stage. It's like, that's it, guy. You've done... You're you're finished. You're through in this business. That's it. We land at Faro I'm just, like, a condemned man. And the pilot goes, well, we're in Faroe, where it's currently 5 p.m. Like, what? Because, of course, it's English time.
0: Right, right, and...
1: I was on Spanish time. I assumed it was the same as Spain. I fucking made it nice. by five
0: minutes. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, like straight on stage. Straight on stage. I made it. I Just did it. Fucking brilliant. So, the relief, the <laughs> relief must have I know. been amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember the class, Andy Newmark was playing drums. He was my dear old friend, the legend. And, and I was in such a state when I walked in. And he and looked at me and said, Guy, there's no way I can understand what you've been going going through, but I can tell it's a lot. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I had one gig in Cork, in the Cork Opera House, where I was really late because my car broke down. And I arranged that when I came to the stage door, I drove up there, left the car running, someone went out and parked it, and I walked straight on stage. <laughs> it's quite a good feeling actually you're like pumps you know yeah
1: yeah i did oh the worst one i had i played coachella with brian ferry and this wasn't my fault this is the stage manager's fault but um i remember it's like okay we're all gonna get getting ready to go on stage it's like well obviously i'll have a quick wee before i go on you know so i'm, I'm of an age now and uh so i went and, and i've i was in the loo and then the music changed and I just suddenly, thought, I remember thinking, this has got to be the shittest DJ ever at a festival. He's literally playing our opening song just before we go on. Oh, my God! God. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, it's a classic. Then, of course, I couldn't open the door. It was a, literally, it was like a proper nightmare. Actually couldn't get out of the loo, listening to the band playing. Oh
0: I think the story <laughs> in, in the book about you listening...
1: Oh yeah, that that was missing an intro. Yeah, that was um, that was with with Pink Floyd. I, I was very very hungover one night, and I had this because I had this lovely cubbyhole at the side of the stage, loads of room, and I was just having a lie down because the thing is that you know with with most Pink Floyd songs, the bass doesn't come in to about the time most songs have finished. You know, you have usually got three minutes before you're required to do anything. <laughs> And this was on The Turning Away, which has, and which is a lovely, and it's got the big bass drone, and then, And then, and I was, so I was just lying down, and it kind of, I fell into a bit of a reverie. And I started listening, and David starts singing, and of course, you know, and David just has the most seductive p- voice in the world. And I started thinking, oh, this is so beautiful. And this, then the acoustic comes in here. This is so nice. And then I come in here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> But listen, if you want to start off, maybe doing a few fifteen-minute slots. Come on over to to Ireland and oh, okay. Get get you some.
1: Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, that's a good idea. Get a (laughs) tight ten. What's that again? Get a a tight ten. Yeah, get a (laughs) tight ten. (laughs) Tight ten.
0: but it'd be fucking brilliant to see you. So, um,
1: oh, well, thank you very much. That's a, that's a great invite. invite.
0: Come over with, um, uh, with Alan.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, we, we are coming. We're coming to... Uh, the sources are coming to coming. Dublin next year. Oh, is so, it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so come. come. Oh,
0: definitely. I'm, I'm inviting, inviting you now. Oh, absolutely. Brilliant. Um, listen, thanks. It was brilliant, uh, a brilliant chat to you. And uh, That was, yeah,
1: great. I really enjoyed that. That was nice. Yeah. I, I hope it's of some interest.
0: Of course it is, yeah, yeah. Well, I finished that chat by offering Guy Pratt a 10-minute slot. Uh, He offered me uh, a guest list to Saucer Full of Secrets. Mm, Much better, I think. Well, um... That's it from Rooney this episode, and there'll be another one coming along anon, no doubt. In the meantime, see ya now, mate!
1: Listen, if you're still living with bladder accidents, stop. It's time to get your life back. I was just like you until I found Real Relief with axonics Therapy. It's not a pill or a
0: pad. It's a clinically proven advanced treatment. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a
1: bladder specialist to find out if Axonics is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.